Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back to Life to the Full. We're in our spring season of listening and staying curious. Two weeks ago, we started a new series, which is Point of View, or POV. Episode 5, Jimmy introduced to the concept and the metaphor of box and lenses. In episode 6, he challenged us to take a look at our church's creed. So, babe, what's in store for us in episode 7? So, I am calling this episode today, Point of View, Seeing Our Box and the Larger Box. Nice. And I kind of had this idea of... Um, Superhero origin stories. Okay. Um, that is so crazy. You know, that was our meeting yesterday from Lift It. Oh, was it really? No. It was super weird, guys. Whenever we talk about anything, it either happens in archery, in my coaching, in nutrition, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I am an English major. I, I think in some ways that, that can be an asset. In other ways, mm-hmm. it can be <laughs> something I have to overcome, right? Uh, but I've learned a lot about literature, about way literature is constructed. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope to write stories of my own one day and, you know, some nonfiction stories as well. Oh, kind of like putting it out there. I love it, babe. Um, and so one of the classic texts mm-hmm. is, um, well, really a, a collection of texts. One of the classic people you need to read when it comes to understanding stories mm-hmm. and really even understanding like religions and myths and just big mythic language. Like the Bible is a big mythic narrative. Not mythic in like it's made up. Right. But it's just like, it's just a big epic narrative, most of it. Right? Is uh, understand... percent to be exact. Yeah. So there's there was a philosopher and writer. His name was Joseph Campbell. And he wrote like a hero with a thousand faces. Um, he wrote a lot about uh, stories and like all these common archetypes that exist in um, common stories, big epic narratives of the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, comic books are kind of (laughs) at least, I think more so now men and women, boys and girls, but I think at one time that was kind of like the entry, the uh, the gateway drug to reading greater works of literature for many, many young men, including myself. (laughs) Back in the 80s. Back in the 80s. uh, I mean, like a lot of the... um, Conan the Barbarian ones, Thor comics, the Infinity Gauntlet series, um, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman. Um, there was a series of cartoons that were kind of like on TV around that time that kind of like fleshed out a lot of those characters too. So we had the comics and we had uh, some of those, um, you know, animated shows. And um, so I want to talk for a minute about some superhero origin stories, just to see why this this matters. And I'm looking at your notes this time. <laughs> you are very good. 
So every superhero has an origin story or their own personal history. However, all superheroes fit into a larger drama that predates them and is much larger than themselves, right? So let's take the classic example of Superman and Batman, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Superman grew up in a small town. I believe it was in Kansas. Mm -hmm. I think it might have actually been called Smallville. Like, it's like, hey, it's a small town. I think so. From Smallville. Get it? What we're doing here? (laughs) Um, He was from another planet uh, called Krypton, right? Mm -hmm. Krypton was basically destroyed in an intergalactic war. (laughs) And he was sent to Earth where the light of the sun was going to make him even more powerful than he would have been if he stayed on Krypton. Krypton, people from Krypton were supposedly already like, you know, godlike in their powers. So coming to the earth and the light of the sun would make him even more powerful. Um, And so he faced enemies that were capable of destroying worlds. That was the only type of uh, foe that could challenge Superman, right? Mm -hmm. But you quickly run out of those type of villains. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. they quickly become very boring. Mm -hmm. So Superman, one of the cool things that I loved about him growing up is that his major themes were the appropriate use of nearly unlimited power, Hmm. right? And defending those who could not defend themselves. Hmm. And so this is really key because when a lot of these stories were being written, we were in the middle of a Cold War Hmm. with like the the former uh, Soviet state, right? Mm -hmm. USSR, Mm -hmm. which now broke up into Russia and other satellite Baltic states. Um, And it was kind of like, I think America... The United States of America was wrestling with the idea of, hey, we we are the most most powerful nation this world has ever seen. We now have the capability to destroy this world several times over mm-hmm. with our nuclear arsenal. What is the proper use of that type of power? Mm-hmm. What does power look like in restraint? Mm-hmm. You know, and you can argue from American history whether or not we've been able to do that. But I think Superman was kind of exploring those themes, you know. And then you have Batman. Mm-hmm. Now, Batman, I always wanted to love Superman, mm-hmm. but I never really did, <laughs> you know? Uh, but Batman, like, I really resonated with, okay. okay? So Batman had his weird rule where he refused to kill anybody, mm-hmm. right? So he, would, he wouldn't, he felt like killing was like the worst evil that anyone could do. Uh, he grew up in a rich and privileged family, mm-hmm. right, with seemingly loving parents, mm-hmm. right? He had everything. Uh, but then one day his parents were murdered in front of him. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you would think that would make him like a vengeful uh, person who was mm-hmm. going to go out. Like, you know, we, we both watched The Arrow for a little <laughs> bit until it got like super weird. Yeah. And we couldn't keep, everyone kept dying and then coming back. We couldn't uh-huh. keep track anymore. They were from like alternate Earth. It was like, whoa, you guys How were like. How many Earth are they? I don't even know. But it was just like, I thought she died like five times already. I don't know how they keep bringing back this actress. Um, but, you know. Anyway, uh, so you'd think that Batman would go the other way and he'd become a person who would just kill any, t- any forms of evil that he saw. But somehow this experience made him value human life. And so he strove not to kill, no matter how evil somebody was. Um, he vowed to avenge his parents and restore peace and justice. Uh, Gotham City. Some people think it's Manhattan. Some people think it's <laughs> Chicago. I think there's like a war. Um, was the epicenter for anarchy and disorder from a crop of supervillains that had been active since before he was born. So he kind of grew up in this space that was bigger than him. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's various reasons why this world was like that, that kind of predates him. Um, But eventually he too, in partnership with Superman, was brought into a larger galactic 
conflict that was bigger than all of them. Okay. That had destroyed Krypton, right? Uh, though Batman has no superpowers, unlike Superman, mm-hmm. right? He's just he's just a dude. Yeah. Uh, he was considered cool by many, including Superman, to be the most powerful and dangerous of what would become the Justice League. Uh, because of his intellect, his superior intellect, and his vast resources, right? So being resourceful is very yeah. powerful. So major themes here too is like you can see like in the American consciousness, like the wrestling of themes of like industry and enterprise. Like what is the proper use of economic might and economic power? Because that's really Batman's superpower. If he has a superpower, is that he's rich, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And he can kind of outthink all of them. Um, neither one of them ever really fully trusted each other. It's kind of a journey of them coming together and learning how to trust each other, right? <laughs> Batman did not like Superman because he felt like nobody should should exist with that much power, you know? Like, because what about if Superman one day didn't agree with something? He would he would play thought experiments like, what about if we tried to arrest Superman? What 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 jail could hold him, right? Okay. And so there's different scenes where Superman does and you know, some people think it's like messianic overtones hmm. uh submits himself to the authorities allows himself to be arrested hmm. allows himself to serve time hmm. um kind of like a um, you know putting putting down of power for the greater good um superman did not trust batman because he felt like batman was super manipulative right super smart and that he didn't fully share all the information he had so he held back information in order to control the group. It even it even became apparent at one point. This is like my favorite like story arc. I know we're going a little bit long here, uh, where it was discovered that Batman basically had files on and resources already that if any member of the Justice League, like Wonder Woman, Superman, would go rogue, mm-hmm. he could neutralize them. Mm-hmm. Like he had a stash of kryptonite that Superman was not happy <laughs> when he found out that Batman had this. And uh, so, yeah, he basically had thought, thought through all the worst case scenarios mm-hmm. and he knew how to neutralize even his own friends should they become enemies. Wow. You know, and this, you know, I see why you relate to Batman. I do. <laughs> I do. You know, um, I think I, I've always kind of related to a, a person who, who somehow feels responsible for everything and everyone yeah. and needs to, you know, pull the strings and control things. Um, you know, when I was a kid, as you well know. Uh, while most people like to play with their G.I. Joes, I like to play a game that I would call President of the World. I love that. Where I would... Uh, Have we told this story? I would. I would ha- had a fake phone. <laughs> I had a fake like rotary phone that was no longer connected that I would make phone calls and I would call the leaders of the world and we would make war on problem nations. Anyway. And that's when Patty said, wow, <laughs> that is the man right. of my dreams. We'll probably cut this part out. I know I went a little long. No, we're not. Um, but the, the whole point here is that every superhero that we talked about, mm-hmm. every uh, character, they do have a personal history. But their personal history is surrounded, right, by a much bigger history. Yes. Right? You know, like, what would, what would have happened if Batman had grown up with Superman's parents? A nice couple from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Right, Batman probably would have been much different. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have had that that need to control and manipulate everything. What about if Superman grew up with abusive parents before he realized 
that he had all those powers, mm-hmm. right? So there, there, there's personal histories, but now there's a larger drama that we're going to try and dry, dive into uh, in understanding, uh, you know, our own personal histories, our own boxes, and how they how that equates to the larger box, the bigger drama that we find ourselves in the middle of. So just like Batman and Superman, we all have our own personal histories. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we all have our spiritual families, let's say, that we were raised in. You know, some of us were raised in a sense almost like spiritual orphans. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's kind of how I see my own upbringing. Like I was kind of left alone for a long time with, you know, nothing but like my Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my yeah. Bible and just my determination that this stuff was important. Right. Right. Um, so that's kind of like our own box. But our box is now surrounded by a larger box, mm-hmm. which is our church history, mm-hmm. which is the larger story of the Bible. I love that. I see why you're connecting, going back to our creeds, yeah. our church. So, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Even kind of what we talked about last week is like, you know, some things in creeds being records of arguments that yeah. nobody cares about anymore. Yeah. That's great. Like those things are still important because they create like this space that now we exist in. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, you know, you always have to think about God moving and working in the world, right? We kind of feel like God only worked in Exodus, right? Or in the Old Testament, or like when Jesus was around, he hasn't really done much for the past 2,000 years, right. right? That's not true. God is always trying to move the world forward, right? right? Mm-hmm. He's always, there's always that larger story of God trying to bring the world back together, yep. right? Mm-hmm. It's broken. Mm-hmm. We broke it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been subject to frustration, right? And God is trying to bring everything back together. So first, we're going to understand the larger story. We're going to understand, like, what is the larger story that the Bible's telling, right? Uh, we're going to try and attempt to see the Bible as a unified, unified story that leads to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Totally just made that up yeah. right here. And it's funny, every time you say that, you get tongue-tied. Because <laughs> it's not what It's you not say. true. That's it's from the, the Bible, Bible Project. project. <laughs> um, we're going to be looking at um, Scripture as an invitation to continue that story. Uh, secondly, we're going to think about how our particular church fits into the larger story, right? We're going to understand church history in the broadest strokes possible. Like, we might even get a head spin from how fast we're going to go through 2,000 years of history. We're going to leave so much stuff out. It's going to be great. Um, we're going to talk about how our tradition of denomination fits into all that. Because um, chances are, like, let's say if your tradition uh, has roots that are even like 100 to 200 years old, uh, you might not realize it, but those same things that are important to those people who started what you're currently in, it's probably still important to you today. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, did you ever hear the expression, the more things change, the more they stay the same? Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of like that. We don't even realize it, right? But they... When they broke off and started their own thing, they taught a group of people, and those group of people passed it on to other people, and it almost became like an unbroken line, mm-hmm. right? And you know, over time, those things do fracture, as as we'll see, uh, and change into other things. But it, it takes time. Um, third, we want to place ourselves in our story. So now that we have the larger box, we're going to take our little box and put it into the 
big box and see how it all fits. Um, that's kind of like that all together that's going to form our superhero origin story mm-hmm. and the world around the world building that goes in that that superhero origin story and then we're going to think about how we can move our story forward i love it yeah so this will be in this episode and next one yes let's get started okay so first we're going to go in and we're going to understand we're going to try and understand the larger story again in the broadest strokes possible I have some resources and deep dives that I think would be really great for somebody who really wants to take a deep dive into this. Uh, But I want to kind of begin with a story. Um, When I first started to um, closely read the Bible, Mm -hmm. right, I would be obviously, uh, like most Western Christians, I was really into the New Testament, right? You know, like didn't really know much about the Old Testament. Um, My exposure to... Even the Exodus was more like influenced by Charlton Heston than the Ten Commandments, right? Or Prince of Egypt (laughs) from Disney, right? Yeah, I had no no idea. I had no idea what was really going on there. And when I read, when I actually read the Old Testament, I had a lot of surprises. But I'd be going through uh, my Bible, which Mm -hmm. is here, uh, having already, you know, like gone through the whole thing again as an atheist. But as a believer again, I was kind of taught really more to focus on the New Testament. But I... I also did like the new, the Old Testament as well. So I would, I would find these little things in the center of my Bible <laughs> called references. And Jesus would say something and I'd say, ooh, uh, Isaiah, ooh, Jeremiah, ooh, Psalm, let me go back. And I would go back and I remember, I wish I still had the Bible now, it's got to be somewhere. But I wrote in the margin, did Jesus just misquote scripture? Because <laughs> I was so confused mm. because Jesus seemed to think the Old Testament was all about him. <laughs> right but then when i went to the old testament it'd be like uh no jesus that's not about you at all <laughs> that's about hezekiah or that's about babylon or that's about something else so that kind of first clued me in that you know what i think jesus is reading his bible different than i am huh. and it really it really bothered me for a long time and i had to do a lot of study and guess what i wasn't the only person who noticed this that there was something off with the way we were reading our scriptures in our modern Western world, right? Heavily in- influenced by the Greeks, by logic, mm-hmm. A plus B equals C, mm-hmm. right? Um, I love the analogy from uh, the Bima podcast where he talks about, you know, a Westerner sees a frog. He wants to know all about the frog. He wants to collect <laughs> facts about the frog. He wants to dissect the frog, Right label all of its parts, understand how it works. Right. Someone from an Eastern point of view walks in and sees that same frog and wants to know, does the frog have a girlfriend? <laughs> what was the frog's childhood like? <laughs> what kind of thoughts does the f- frog think? What does it think about itself? Right. Right. What's right. its story? Mm-hmm. Right. So learning to read the Bible more like that in terms of like seeing it more as a story, Right versus uh, seeing it as a collection of facts or like a manual or um, what's often called called like a proof text. Like, oh, let me prove to you why I'm right and you're wrong. (sighs) Turn to Malachi or whatever. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I needed to do is I needed to take my Bible, right? Mm -hmm. This this was one of my favorite Bibles uh, when I first uh, joined our tradition about 20 years ago. The NIV Thin Line. 
right? It's like fake leather. Leather. It's beautiful. Um, this is one of my favorite Bibles. And then I kind of had to move past that because then I realized that the original ordering of the of the Old Testament mm-hmm. or the Hebrew Scriptures, right, was radically different than what it was in my Bible. <laughs> and at first, it didn't really bother me. And then I had known this from way back when I was a Christian, when I was a Catholic mm-hmm. growing up, because they taught us this. And I was like, wait a minute, we changed the order? Uh, 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 we're okay with that? And they explained to me very logically, yes, we're okay with it. The reason why we changed the order is because it basically makes more sense the way we've organized it. Because we've organized it in the Pentateuch, right, or the Torah. Okay. The first five books mm-hmm. of the Bible, right? Uh, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? And then we have the history books. It goes into history. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and on and on and on. And then we kind of arrange it into poetry. We have the Psalms, Proverbs, Job, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then we have the prophets because these are the prophetic books, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, there was still some idea that this is kind of telling the future, right? Or this is, um, you know, to, meant to be read in conjunction with the histolo- histological books, sure. right? Um, and so as, you know, a young kid in a Catholic classroom, it made sense to me, you know, not realizing that I was being heavily influenced by, you know, my Greco-Roman world that kind of liked to put things in different types of boxes, mm-hmm. right? That might not have been true to the original box that it was meant to be in. Right. So then as a young Christian, realizing that, uh, you know, this stuff was arranged differently, I began to wonder, huh, if I change the order of an equation, <laughs> sometimes that, that could change the answer I get. Yep. Okay. Especially when you kind of get into higher level math. I was a, you know, a physics major at one point, still have mm-hmm. a physics associates from it. Um, when you get into higher level math, the order of things can really change the entire answer, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, those like Facebook uh, quizzes that some people like to do where different pictures represent different numbers and you really have to pay attention, yep. right, to the way the pictures, because a shoe could mean 10, right? right? We have a listener who loves yeah. putting those. Yeah. We, <laughs> she has lots of fun telling people no when yeah. they don't get the right answer. It's, uh, it's very amusing. Um, but yeah, but then at, finally, if you don't know the correct order of operations, like whether you need to multiply first, whether you need to add first or subtract or take care of your parentheses, you can get radically different answers. Yeah. So I went into my Bible and I, you know, got a list out of the way it was supposed to be ordered. Right. And I read through it in the way it was supposed to be ordered. And some of it at first didn't make sense to me. I was like, why are they putting the historical book, first and second Chronicles? First of all, they just call it Chronicles. Like, why are they putting that at the end? Of their Bible. That makes no sense. All those things happened uh, way, way, way back when, right? At the foundation of the monarchy. Uh, Why are they doing that? But then when I kind of read it, and I read other people who, you know, were were big into kind of reconstructing this picture, you can kind of see that there was a lot of intentional design in the way these people, whoever put these scriptures together, the Hebrew Bible, there was some type of intelligence there, and it was intentionally done and it was arranged in such a way so that you could see the pattern, mm-hmm. right? 
So, do you know what an aside is? A side? Yeah, yeah. No. So it's it's kind of like something that happens in like Shakespeare's plays oh. where the okay. actor is like acting, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's around him doing acting things. Right, right. And one of the actors turns. Yes. And faces the audience. I love that in comedy. And says, okay, listen, guys. <laughs> now everyone else is walking around. They're like, they're acting like they, they can't tell. But this right. actor somehow is aware. Yeah. This character is sometimes aware of the audience and yeah. kind of pulls the audience aside and says, listen, guys. This is what you really need to know mm-hmm. about the Duke of Normandy or whatever it is. I don't even know if there's a Duke of Normandy in Shakespeare's plays. It's been a while, right? So the Bible does that. The Bible kind of stops sometimes and like makes sure that you're aware of certain things, right? It does this sometimes by repeating words. Sometimes it goes, it goes about this by saying things mm-hmm. that whoever, if somebody was writing this as it was happening, they wouldn't have been aware of certain things mm-hmm. like um, in I believe it's in Exodus where the writer of Exodus is kind of talking about um, you know a group of people who hadn't shown up yet <laughs> you know to that scene so that kind of shows us that the Bible is aware of information that it shouldn't know if it was being written when those things were happening but the important thing is to understand the Bible's full of these moments that whoever wrote, organized, and arranged this material is turning to you and is basically telling you you, you need to pay attention, mm-hmm. right? And they didn't use books back then. They used mm-hmm. scrolls, mm-hmm. right? So if you think of a scroll, you unroll a scroll and you get to the end. And then when you get to the end, you open up a new scroll. Mm-hmm. And kind of where the ending of the scroll is and the beginning of a new one, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of important information was put, right? There is a great free class online from this by Dr. Tim Mackey. Yeah. I believe you call him Timmy. <laughs> I right? do. What's up, Timmy? Right. And um, they just started their seminary level um, classroom material that they're doing. And they started with an introduction to the Hebrew Bible. Right. And there's a great class on that. And uh, he, you know, as other people have noticed, that if you look, they call them the seams. If you look at the seams of the three major sections of the Hebrew Bible, which we didn't talk about yet, right? Which is the Torah, the Nevim or the prophets, the Keduvim or the writings, right? And so you get to the Torah, we both agree, the Torah and the Pentateuch is the same, first five books of Moses, and right? And you put this chart, right? On I can the put notes. that chart there. Mm-hmm. Um, then they go, they dive right into the prophets, but their prophets begin with Joshua, Joshua. and Judges. We would call them historical books. Samuel and Kings, right? Mm-hmm. Again, we would call them uh, historical books. And then you have the later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then you have, um, I think it's called the scroll uh, of these smaller books that were kind of all like linked together, which is Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, right? And then the Keduvim, which is the writings, it kind of begins with its biggest book which is the psalms mm-hmm. right and then it goes into some things that we would call the wisdom literature or the poetry right we have like ecclesiastes proverbs job and all that all that lovely stuff so basically if you look at where these major sections end and begin mm-hmm. you can kind of see that some information was left deliberately there mm-hmm. right and it creates some meaning so there's another chart that we'll put up that is also from this Tim Mackey class or this class that your friend Timmy did, right? And he kind of points out um, 
how these seams, he, he points out two major seams. We can kind of in there get the overall idea of the Bible, right? So if you understand the opening chapters of Genesis, that kind of sets up what's happened in the world, right? God creates a world. He creates man in his image to do to rule the world on his behalf, to co-rule, right? Yep. All this great stuff. Things go wrong very, very quickly, mm-hmm. right? You have a breaking up of that relationship, um, and things get progressively worse and worse and worse until God destroys the world in a flood, right? He kind of starts over through Noah and his family. And then, you know, from there, it kind of zeroes in, right? That's like the macro view of mm-hmm. like the world history. Yep. And then it zooms in on one little family, mm-hmm. right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And kind of follows them as they descend down into Egypt, 400 years of slavery, uh, Moses, through Moses, God delivers them from Egypt, right? And through that crossing of the Red Sea and their their wedding at Mount Sinai, they become a, become a people, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of understand these opening archetypes, mm-hmm. right? Get Have those firmly in your mind as you read the entire Bible. Yeah. And then you kind of get to these seams, and it's it seems that these places, there's a lot of editorial comments from whoever these redactors were. What are editorial comments? Editorial comments are kind of like when you... St- when instead of just presenting facts and things the way things happened, mm-hmm. you interpret those facts. Gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. For people. Um, it's, it's basically what we call the news nowadays. Mm-hmm. Not <laughs> you know? fake news. Switching, mm-hmm. switching between CNN and Fox News. You can kind of see uh, different it's sides of editorial. Crazy. Uh, you can mm-hmm. get like a whiplash, right? And yeah. a redactor is just someone who's arranged a bunch of texts into some type of literary canon. All right? And, uh, oh, this is in my notes. Has Go kind of on. arranged it. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Basically, when you know what you're looking at, and you know how to closely read the Bible, which, again, the Bible Project does an excellent class. It'll take you about a month or two to get through the whole thing. That teaches you how to do this for the Old Testament. Um, I'm considering uh, going over some handouts that I prepared as well, an additional mm-hmm. video. Who knows? Look out for those. See if they're coming. It's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to record you. It but, will be in the full episode notes. But basically, the Hebrew Bible paints a portrait of waiting. Mm. Like they're waiting for a Moses-like prophet who hasn't come yet. They're waiting for someone who's going to lead the people, who's going to meditate on the Torah day and night. Right? They're waiting for an Elijah-like prophet who's going to come back and restore the hearts of the people for God and for the Torah, right? And they're looking for a king, sort of in the line of David, right? Who's going to come and who's going to bring the world back together, Mm -hmm. right? Beginning in Israel. And then the New Testament touches down. And the New Testament, as I said before, you know, like sometimes you're reading it and you're like, they quote scriptures in the Old Testament and you go back and you're like, wait, what? That, that doesn't mean they just took that out of context. What are they doing? Right. Uh, other people than me, much smarter than me, have noticed this before and have written some excellent books on this. Um, it's, it's kind of all over the place uh, when you learn how to read the New Testament the way the New Testament author is writing it. You can kind of see this. Uh, Jesus is basically calling back to all those expectations of the Hebrew scriptures, waiting for for this person to come, right? So Jesus comes. uh, He's like Moses. He's like Elijah. 
He stands in for the people. He completes Israel's task, right, of bringing the world back together, right? And it's almost like you're getting a shot of the future. Mm-hmm. It's like the future reality has now somehow invaded the present mm-hmm. and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? This is kind of a sign of what's to come for those who believe, like, in putting the world back together. Um, and so the Bible is, in fact, a unified story that leads oh, to Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Um, now, I want to talk about another book of the Bible that used to bother me, and that is the book of Acts. A lot of people don't read the book of Acts. They really should. Maybe I'll do another video about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a closer reading of the book of Acts, but a lot of people have done it better than me. Um, and... We tend to go into Acts, at least in my tradition, as like a history book, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you really learn to read Acts, Acts is a terrible history book. <laughs> it gets some facts wrong. Like, you know, that's just, I mean, I guess it's disputable. But in my opinion, it does. A more, a more accurate version of what actually happened is really found in the letters of Paul, letters of Peter. Those are kind of like where you kind of get an idea of like what may have actually happened. But in Acts, it's very like, you know, theologized. It's very, it has an agenda, mm-hmm. right? In the way it arranges events, right? Just like the authors of the gospel. Um, but when you go into it, like I originally did with the expectation this is a history book, it gets really annoying. Mm-hmm. Would you why? like to know why? Yeah. Why is that? Because it starts off, okay, it kind of picks up right where the gospel of Luke ends uh, Jesus is with them. He ascends into heaven. All that fun stuff happens, right? Uh, it's very, like, apostle-centric at first, kind of zeroes in on Peter. And then it kind of, like, focuses on Paul. It seems to forget about Peter for, like, the rest of the book. And then, like, the end of the book, you know, it's it's like there's no ending, which really bothers me. You want to hear the last two verses? Sure. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you guys can like, see, but he's what, really lost. Where, where's the rest? Where's the rest <laughs> of Acts? What's going on? Uh, so what most modern scholars think, right? Sorry that if I just shook the microphone in my passion uh what most modern scholars think is that the literary style that acts was written in it's it's written as an invitation there are different points where it appears that luke or whoever wrote this is trying to place you into the story Uh like there's either like an unnamed person right which is either luke himself or it's an invitation to put yourself into the story and it kind of ends with no conclusion because it's making the point that the work of the Holy Spirit is not finished. Mm-hmm. God moving in the world, the mission of bringing the world back together is not done. And it's it's happening in every age and every time. And it's moving forward. And that, you know, will bring us eventually to us. I love ending conversations that reminds us of our responsibility.
And that in a sense, like, that kind of responsibility where you deny your feelings to, I have to be like Jesus. It's no, it's your story, your strength, your journey that's going to move forward. You are part of the new humanity. So I love it. And as Jimmy mentioned earlier, he is going to have a couple of videos of deeper dives in the show's full episode notes that are in our website. And that is at www.ysuperstars.com slash life to the full podcast. Uh, for those, uh, for, for our listeners, we'll see you next week. Adios, muchachas. And muchachos. <laughs>